0: We want to take our time now to read the Scriptures. We have an Old Testament text that comes from Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 through 8, I think. Just a simple but powerful passage that confirms all the promises God has made before this to His people. Listen here to God's Word. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last and there is no God besides me, who is like me. Let him proclaim and declare it. Yes, let him recount it to me in order from the time that I established the ancient nation and let them declare to them the things that are coming and the events that are going to take place. Do not tremble and do not be afraid. Have I not long ago since announced to you and declared it and you are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me or is there any other rock I know of none, amen. Then our gospel text today is from Mark chapter nine, verses two through eight. This is an account of the transfiguration where the Lord Jesus is takes three of his disciples, goes up on a mountain and an amazing thing happens. Listen here to God's word. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, and James, and John, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his garments became radiant and exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared to them along with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah for he did not know what to answer, for they became terrified. Then a cloud formed, overshadowing them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son, listen to him. All at once they looked around and saw no one with them anymore except Jesus alone. Amen. And then our primary text today is from Revelation chapter 1, verses nine through 20. We've seen before how John introduces this, explains what's going on, makes his own ascription. Last week we saw who Jesus is. Today we'll hear from Jesus. Listen here to God's word. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance, which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write it in a book, what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one, like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. We'll take a few moments to bow our heads and silently meditate upon God's word, which we've read. Heavenly Father, we come in Jesus' name and we ask you to be with us. We always need your help. We always need your mercy and grace to come to us. So help us today. Help us hear your word Let us be transformed by it to a gracious and good work in us. We ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Apostle John is on the island of Patmos. Now, Patmos is an island about 30 or so miles off the western coast of Turkey. If you put the first map up there, let's see what it looks like. There you are. And do you see where uh, we have it circled right where in the general area where Patmos is? You see Turkey there. There's... Greece, and there's all the uh, Macedonian and other things up above there. But it, it can't even be seen on that map. Uh, that's where he was. Now, there's another map that shows a little more precisely what it looks like. There we go. There you can see the, the coast of Turkey. There's that little bitty where the red dot is, is where uh, Patmos is. Uh, that island is about seven and a half miles north to south. And at its widest point, it's about six miles from east to west. Most of it's much more narrow than that. And you'll notice that it's like I said, over to the right, you see where it says Miletus there? Well, Miletus is the city that you read about in chapter 20, where Paul met with the Ephesian elders. And farther to the right from there, or to the east, would be where the seven churches are. Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamon, et cetera. So that gives you some idea of where, where John was on that island of Patmos. Uh, just to get it in your mind geographically. Uh, that island had been used as a place of exile by the Romans for some time. So John's not the first one ever been here. A uh, long, long time before that, people had been sent there, and he was not the only one there now. Uh, it was used because it was uh, barren, volcanic rock, mostly treeless, and uh, it was a good place to just put someone as punishment. They, they, where are they going to go? <laughs> you know, where are they going to go? Can't, can't find out anything from there. Uh, now, if you were to look up Patmos today, it's a destination place. It's part of Greece. Even though it's They're close to Turkey, it's part of Greece, and uh, it's a tourist attraction. And uh, you can go there and it has all the amenities that you want. That wasn't the way it was when John was there, just so you know. So if you look it up and say, oh, well, how can I go there? And of course, when tourists go anywhere, things get built up nicely. And so that's what's happened at Patmos as well. Now, it begins, this whole revelation, we're gonna talk about, it, it begins with reality. Uh, John is on Patmos because of or for reasons he says it's because of the word of God (coughs) that is because he has taken and lived out the fact that the source of all final truth comes from the word of God from the Bible now he would have had the Old Testament he would have had the Gospels some writings and things like that but he, he did that and that had gotten him in trouble And the second thing is is the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Because all of the testimony of Jesus says that Jesus is King of kings. He's the Lord of all. He's the ruler of all kings. And He was saying that, and we find that same testimony throughout Scripture. But because He had said that, the Romans had somehow exiled Him to Patmos. That's what it says here in our text. He says that He is a fellow partaker of three things with us. He says, I'm with you. I'm with all you Christians. Uh, with three things, in tribulation, in the kingdom, and in perseverance. Now, those are three important things. We can forget this. Uh, we can forget the three things because, uh, well, we just do. But look what uh, Jesus said Himself in John sixteen thirty-three. I think we'll have it up here directly. It says, these things I have spoken to you that, so that in Me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. So, Jesus Himself tells us to expect tribulation. Be things that are going on in the world. And we live in the world, right? We're not in Heaven yet. So, we can expect to have tribulation. Uh, He's overcome the world, but we're still here. But here's what the apostolic band taught. Here's Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Uh, So, Paul and all the others went around, they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So, we see both tribulation and we see kingdom. We were, the tribulations are there, but we're entering the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus has said also, and that's what John says here, the tribulation and the kingdom uh, that are there, we're part of that. And that leads to a third thing, which we find in Romans 5, verses 3 and 4. This is a paradigm. This is a picture of what the Christian life is like, of what we should expect and should experience. It says, we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That's the third thing John mentioned, perseverance. You won't have perseverance if you don't have tribulation, but perseverance brings about proven character and proven character, hope. So we need to have all three of those things if we're gonna grow In the right dynamic of the Christian life. We need to have tribulations. We need to have, in other words, part of the kingdom and and grow more into the kingdom. And we need to have perseverance, to push on, to stay true to to the Lord. Okay, thank you very much. John recognizes each of these realities, and so we need to see them as well. But then, after having said that, uh, it begins with a necessary revelation. If you're going to live that way, you need a revelation. And John's, he's in the Spirit, On the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day means Sunday, the first day of the week. Other places in the New Testament, it talks about the first day of the week and the the Lord's Day, and says that's when Christians gather to worship. That's the day of the resurrection. And He's in the Spirit. That means He's worshiping. He's there. Uh, He does that. And as He's worshiping, sort of unsolicited, surprised, doesn't expect this, all of a sudden the veil is lifted, and His eyes can see what human eyes can't see on their own. He's given a revelation of spiritual truth. So uh, that happens. And the way he's, he, it's, the veil is raised, it's raised loudly. Well, how do you raise a veil loudly? Because he heard a voice behind him. It says the voice was like a trumpet. Uh, what does a trumpet mean? It means it's, it's loud, it's urgent. You know, the, the cavalry calling. It's to pay attention to this. So it gets his attention. It says, pay attention to this, do this, it's urgent. And then later on, he'll say in verse 15, it's like his voice is like the sound of many or mighty rushing or roaring waters. That means it's powerful. You know, we, we use water power for all kinds of things. Uh, talk to the Bahamas about the power of water. Uh, talk to the early settlers about mills, water power. We still use tons of water in my, in my uh, pastor's column for this month, I talk about the power of water to clean teeth, if it's used rightly. Water is powerful. So, those things happen, and that voice then, that urgent, loud, powerful voice commands him to write down what he has seen. So he's going to have to pay close attention to what's happened, and it says to send it to these seven specific churches. And they're listed there. He won't carry it there. He's still going to be in exile. He must get to them though. And what he writes to them will be read publicly. People will hear it, so he needs to write it carefully. And we also are reading it in public because what he writes down is scripture. And he doesn't necessarily know that, but he is. And it comes to us, and and just as it's for those seven churches, it's going to be for all the churches down through the ages to benefit from this Scripture. So, he turns to see the voice. Now, how do you turn to see the voice? Well, you turn to see where the voice is coming from, right? He turns to see the voice, and what does he see? He sees seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of them, in the middle of them, someone like a son of man... That means like a divine figure. And then he describes him. He has a priestly robe. On. When he says the robe, they immediately go back to Exodus and, and the garments there. It's a priestly person. He has the sash, the golden sash around his chest. The, the seal of authority that, that, that God gives to his, his priests to, to come before him and do the things that they do. His hair is white. It says like snow. That means that he's pure. There's no, no, no defilement there. He's pure, entirely pure, like snow. It says His eyes are like a flame of fire. They're piercing. They're revealing. You can't hide from them. It'll clear away all the stuff and say, here's what's going on. His eyes are like that. His feet, it says, are like burnished bronze, those who've been through the furnace. The furnace of tribulation and affliction are burnished and bright. His right hand holds seven stars and his mouth has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of it. You know, that's the sword of the Spirit. That's the only sword that if you stick that sword into a dead man, he becomes a living man. (laughs) Dead in sins, dead in trespasses. Stick the sword of the Word of God into him, and he becomes a living man, and he has a face. That's like the sun shining brilliantly, you can't stand it. When I come up Main Street on about 7.30 on a weekday morning, come up to the stoplight there where Main and Broadbead and Satterton, the sun this time of year is right there and I tell you, I can't see a thing. Don't be walking across the street then, all right? I can't. The sun in its brilliance, just there, oh, whoa, whoa, and it's like that. It was, so, it was overpowering. That's what he sees. Uh, can we picture this? Can we depict it? Can you draw it? My wife is an artist, I'd often think, she ought to draw this scene. I don't think you can adequately do it in, in art. You simply cannot do that. I mean, it would look silly to have a, a sword coming out of someone's mouth. They've done that in, in you know, stained glass windows. You'll see them in, in various monasteries or big cathedrals, they'll have a picture like that. And it looks, it doesn't look right. It looks comical to some degree or looks, doesn't look right. Uh, you have to have the right perspective, I guess. Uh, but it's the effect of all that's seen and all that's heard upon John. It's, it's a powerful effect. And his reaction is he falls like a dead man before the feet of this person. That's a similar reaction that we find throughout Scripture when people have an overwhelming intimate revelation of God. Abraham does it in, Acts, or in Genesis 17. We see it happen with Ezekiel. He gets his visions. We see Daniel, it happens, happens repeatedly. I would suggest to you that when God comes and reveals himself to us, we see how pure, how holy, how righteous he is, and we see who we are. We likewise fall at his feet like dead people. Oh my, I'm undone. What can be done for me? But, when we're in that position, we know who somehow we have some sense of who he is and who we are. Then, the Son of God acts and speaks. He reaches out his right hand and lays it on John. He touches him. He touched me. Oh, he touched me, right? He touches him and he speaks. He says, do not fear. This is awesome. This is glorious. This is overwhelming, but But do not fear. And you know, of course, that's the most often repeated command in one form or another that you'll find in the Bible. That's because you and I are prone to fear. We're prone to be driven by our fears in all sorts of ways. And he will speak to us, do not fear. He says why he should not fear. He says, I'm the first and the last. Well, we just read about that in Isaiah 44. John would be familiar with that. I'm the first and the last. This is God speaking. He says, I'm the living one. I was dead. It's Jesus Christ. I was dead. He was dead. He was buried. But now I'm alive and I'm alive forevermore. These are important affirmations. He really was flesh. He really went through the furnace of afflictions. His feet are burnished bronze, right? Went through the afflictions like we, but he overcame all that and he's alive forevermore. And he says, I have the keys of death and Hades. All the final things is, I have them. I've triumphed. No one else has them. I have those things. In other words, John, what you're going to see has the highest authority. It's God speaking. And then he provides the interpretation for what he's seeing. He says the lampstands, those are churches. Whatever those lampstands may be going through, those churches may be going through, Jesus is in the midst of them. How would you like to be the lampstand that's in China today? Or in a city in China? Jesus is there in the midst of them. He's here in the midst of our churches. He's there. And they're to be lampstands. Make no question about it. They're to give off light to the world, deliberately, intentionally. They're to be fed by the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Spirit. Back to to Zechariah 4. That's the church's calling is to be a lampstand, to give light. If we're not sharing the light, why have a lampstand? And says, the stars, the stars, they are angels, are messengers of the churches. They're in his hand, his right hand. <laughs> They're in his hand. And those, now people don't know, are those angels, angelic beings? Are those the leaders, the pastors, the, of those local churches? Well, it can go either way, but why not have it be all? God has angels here watching over us, his people. He has people he raises up in His hand to, to, to cause them to do the things, they're in His hand. Here's our conclusion from all this. I'm 10 minutes over from where I wanted to be We don't want it to start because we have communion. Always begin, it says, it, titles, it begins. It begins with these two things in your life. It begins with reality. Don't deny basic reality. John was in Patmos, on Patmos. He was there for a reason wasn't a pleasant place to be. He was there. It begins with with reality, but it ends with revelation. Nowhere where you go can you be beyond God's care and protection, okay? And you lampstands out there, you churches, no matter where you are or what your circumstances are, he's in the midst of us. Now, the next seven weeks, we'll work our way through each of the seven churches, and we'll see that he says very clear, positive, and negative things about each church. His eyes are fiery. They see. And he doesn't mince words. He says, you got a problem, or you're doing well, or you got this. But here's the bottom line. Both are necessary. We need reality, and we need revelation. One without the other will always lead us astray. It begins. John shows us how in Revelation 1. May we, you and I, the church of God, know that Christ is always the first and the last, the one who's died but who's alive forevermore, and we can never go beyond the place where he can help us as we call out on him. Amen.